0: This evening, we're going to read verses 9, 10, and 11 again, and our focus will be particularly upon verse 10. I've chosen to entitle this sermon, The Living Dead, and I hope by the end of the message you will have a good understanding of why Christians can be referred to as the living dead. Uh, You might think that the living dead is a negative way uh, to refer to Christians, but I would submit that it is better to be the living dead than the dead dead. Um, Unbelievers are the dead dead. And if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, uh, that would be how Paul might describe you. But if you're here and you are a Christian, then I would submit to you that you are the living dead. What in the world do I mean? Well, I will explain, but first let's read our passage. So Romans 8, beginning in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, but... Well, verse 10 is given to us as Christians to help us understand who we are in this world. Uh, This verse is God's explanation of the current state of Christians who are still alive in this world. Verse 10 is not about unbelievers. Uh, Paul begins verse 10 by saying, But if Christ is in you, so, only those who are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, those who have been born again, those who have believed the gospel, they're the people being described in this verse. Now, as human beings, we are made up of two essential parts we are body and we are soul. Uh, there are some who hold to a different view. Uh, these people are called trichotomists. Tri as in tricycle or triangle. Uh, trichotomists believe that human beings are made up of three essential parts. They would say human beings are body and soul and spirit. Uh, I believe that the Bible teaches a view called dichotomy. Di as in divide or dilemma or dioxide. Di is in the number two. Dichotomists believe that human beings are made up of only two essential parts, body and soul, and that when the Bible uses the word spirit, referring to the human spirit, it's the same thing as the word soul. Indeed, often we see passages in which soul and spirit are used interchangeably. Now, my contention is that the Bible teaches us a dichotomous understanding of man. And that's very important for what Paul is doing in these three verses. Because Paul's point in the next verse, in verse 11, is that the salvation we are receiving from God is a complete salvation. Man is soul and body, and in the end, both our soul and our body is going to be saved. There will be a day when both our soul and our body will be made perfectly alive walking on the streets of the new earth. You see, before we became Christians, our bodies and our souls were dead to God. They were both entangled in sin. Our bodies and our souls were in bondage to sin. That's why I called unbelievers the dead dead. The body was dead to God. The soul was dead to God. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, through the gospel, and causes that person to be born again, that person's soul is made alive. Our souls begin to live. We begin to experience real abundant life in Christ Jesus. But not our bodies. Our bodies still remain in bondage to sin. Our bodies remain a constant snare to us in the Christian life. If we just gave in to the whims of our bodies, we would sin and we would sin and we would sin. Our spirits have been made alive. Our bodies remain dead to God. And that's why I described us in this life as the living dead. The soul is alive. The body is dead. Now, next Sunday's sermon will be on verse 11 where we are told there will be a day when God will complete His work of salvation in us and just as our souls have been made alive today, our bodies will be made alive to God. Our bodies, like our souls, will be made new and will be in complete and perfect submission to the good will of God. We will have a perfect body and a perfect soul on that glorious day. Verse 11 is about the day when we will be the living living. This is what salvation is. We are taken from the dead, dead, body and soul both dead, to the living, living. But today, as Christians, we're in that process. The soul is alive, the body is not. And so Paul is operating with this dichotomous understanding of man. And the Holy Spirit makes the soul new first, and then when Jesus comes back, our bodies will be made new as well. And by the way, everything that we're studying here in verses 9, 10, and 11 is a setup for what Paul was going to teach us in verse 13. You see, all of this is setting us up to make sure we understand how to wage war in the Christian life against sin. And if you do not understand yourself properly, if you do not understand who you are properly, you will not be able to fight sin in your life Properly. You familiar with the phrase, know thyself? Have you ever heard anybody say that? Know thyself. Do you know yourself? Do you know who you are? Do you have a proper assessment of yourself? Do you have the Bible's assessment of of yourself? Well, if you're a Christian, here is the Bible's assessment of you. You have a soul that is alive. It loves God. It wants to obey God. It wants to submit to God. And you have a body that is dead. It wants to rebel against God. It wants to lead you astray. It wants to fight against all that your soul desires. Your body is in bondage to sin. Your soul has been set free. And if you understand this, you'll be at the right place to fight the fight and to run the race and to live joyfully for the glory of God. Now tonight, we're simply going to look at verse 10 and unpack it in its two parts. Two points, two parts. First, the verse says that the body is dead because of sin. Second, it says the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And so the goal was to see what in the world Paul means by these two statements so that we can better understand who this person is that we see when we look in the mirror. We want to know how to better live with ourselves day in and day out. I will tell you that I think this sermon can be particularly helpful um, if you pay attention to it. So let's listen, and I think it will help us as we get to verse 13 a little bit later. Number one, the body is dead because of sin. The body is dead. The body is dead. Clearly, he is not referring to physical life. Okay? Um, Paul was writing to Christians in Rome, and they're living when he writes this. They're, their hearts are beating. Right? Their brains are waving. Their, their lungs are expanding and compressing. These are, these are living people. And yet he says to them, your bodies are dead. Right? So what does he mean? Well, he means that their bodies are completely devoid of life towards God. That is, that their bodies are in bondage to sin. Their bodies desire sin. Their bodies are in a state of spiritual and moral death and that this is the state that they're in, even as Christians. We see this in many ways. Picture yourself at a buffet. Delicious food. Your eyes see the food. That's body. Your mouth begins to water. That's body. And long after you've had a moderate amount of food, that is healthy for you, that is right for you, that is good for you, your eyes still want more. And your mouth continues to want more. Your taste buds want more. Sometimes our stomachs still seem to be desiring more than what is needed. This is a sin. This is gluttony. We are called to do all things in moderation. But our bodies do not like moderation. Our bodies do not like boundaries. Our bodies do not like self-control. No, our bodies like gorging. The body is the enemy of your soul as you try and practice moderation. Or think about sleep. How often do you wake up in the morning and you know that the responsible, God-honoring, appropriate thing for you to do is to get on up? And your body is revolting. Right? It likes the comfort of the bed. It likes the covers. The body cares nothing about what God would have you do. All the body knows is, this feels good and I like it. Right? It likes sleep. And if you haven't learned to bring your body into submission, you'll become a very idle and a very lazy person, sleeping far more than you should. Um, Think about our sexual desires. All we have to do is look around at what has become normal in our society regarding sexuality. And we can see that human bodies seem to long for all kinds of sexual experiences which are contrary to the will of God and the good of our souls. How did our bodies get this way? How did our bodies come to this place of constantly desiring things contrary to God, out of proportion, without moderation? Why are our bodies dead? And Paul's answer is, because of sin. Your body is dead because of sin. And in particular, because of what he says in the next phrase, I think Paul is referring here to one sin, the sin of Adam. How did our bodies come to be this way? Why are our bodies cursed with this existence of slavery to sin? It happened because of Adam's sin in the garden. We had our forefather Adam, and he was in a covenant relationship with God. And the stipulations of the covenant were very clear. They said that if Adam obeyed, he would forever know life. Life in his body, life in his soul. Adam was the living, living in the garden. But Adam disobeyed, and he became the dead, dead. The curse affected both his soul and his body. And as we've seen before, Adam was not representing only himself in the garden. Adam stood as the head of the human race. His sin was our sin, his guilt was our guilt, his curse is our curse and so from that point on every human being who has ever been born has been born with a soul that is dead to God and a body that is dead to God how did we as Christians get these bodies that cause us so much trouble how did we get these bodies that tempt us to such immorality answer you were born you were born as a part of a sinful race for that is what the human race is We are a cursed race. We are a fallen race. And we see the consequences of this in our bodies, right? Why why do our bodies get weak? Why do our bodies fall apart? Why do we get sick? Why do we get injured? Why do we know these aches and pains that come along with aging? Why do our bodies end up dying altogether, decaying, turning to dust? because of sin. And what's the implication of this? Why is it so important for Paul to remind us that our bodies remain dead and in bondage to sin? Why does he bring that up now? It's important because he teaches us that if we're going to honor God in this life, we must bring our bodies into submission. Paul is preparing us to say, you must be self-controlled. You must learn the art of self-denial. If your body controls you, you will make a wreck of the Christian life. Indeed, if your body controls you, it will lead you to hell. You simply cannot say that you are a saved person and that your soul has been made new if your body continues to control you because one of the clearest evidences of the spirit being in you one of the great fruit of the holy spirit is the fruit of self-control sometimes we think about that list in galatians love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control and we focus a lot on those first 3 right love joy peace and rightly so they're hugely important don't miss the tail there right Self-control is essential to the Christian life. Jesus, Matthew 5, verses 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That is, you take control over your body and don't let it control you, even if it means taking drastic measures. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. In other words, if you can't keep a part of your body under control, you'd better it'd be better for you to cut it off than for you to let it lead you to judgment. He's using hyperbole certainly, but the point is this, self-control is that important. Heaven and hell are at stake. If you have a living soul, but a body that is still against God, and that's who you are as a Christian, by the way, then you need to make sure you're being led by your soul and not by your body. You must take control of yourself. Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So here's a city that has been so ravaged by its enemies that it now lies completely defenseless and vulnerable, has no walls, which means even the weakest enemies can now march right into the city and do great harm. A person without self-control is a person who is open and vulnerable to all kinds of temptations. Even the weakest desires will lead a person without self-control into all sorts of sin. This kind of person will leave a wake of misery and strife and dishonor to Christ in every relationship and every activity of his life because he's defenseless to evil desires and sin is holding dominion over his life. Church, in 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul made a statement that shows that even he knew that if he didn't control his body, he could prove to be an unbeliever and fall away from Christ. The Apostle Paul said that even this was possible for him, for his body to lead him away from God. He said this, he said, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. No, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Hear what he's saying? Paul says, look, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm in this race with you. I'm running after Christ-likeness with you. And I've learned that if I don't discipline myself, if I don't get my body under control, even after preaching the gospel to you, I can prove to be an unbeliever. And church, if that's something the Apostle Paul knew about himself, what about us? How much more does someone like us need self-control? Back in Romans 6, 12-13, Paul told us this. He said, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make it obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members, that is your body parts, present them to God as instruments for righteousness. What is the message there? The message is that your body is like a wild bronco and it will wreak havoc on you and on others if you let it remain out of control. But if you can bridle this horse, if you can saddle this horse, if you can teach this horse to obey, then it can be used for great, great good in this world. Self-control takes what can kill you and turns it into an instrument of righteousness that serves the glory of God and the good of others. Do you have self-control? Pray for it. Cultivate it. Work at it. Like anything, you just have to start taking steps in this direction, and the more you practice, the easier it becomes. It is always hardest at first. Teaching the bronco to obey is hardest at the beginning. Say no to your stomach and mean no. No. Say no to your eyes and mean no. Purposefully submit your body to the service of God. Bring your body in subjection to the will of God. And even as you fight this battle, remember that verse 11 is coming. That there will be a day when you don't have to fight the battle anymore because this wild bronco will be tamed and it will be in complete and perfect and happy submission to the glory of God. So, the first part of the verse, you see it there in verse 10, the body is dead because of sin. But then there's the second part of the verse. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. By the way, t- Paul tells you this to encourage you. This is meant to make you Rejoice. Yes, your body is still dead. Your body's against God. Your body still gives in to sin, but your soul has been made new. Um, we've been made alive with Christ. So long bondage to sin. Remember Romans 6, right? This is true of your soul. Your soul is no longer enslaved to sin. Your body, yeah, it's a tra- it's trapped, not your soul. You cannot say, "Oh, the temptation was too overwhelming for me." No, not anymore. God will not put you, dear Christian, in any situation where his grace is not sufficient to carry you through faithfully. There is always a way of escape, right? You've been set free. We have a Lord who loves us, a Lord who gave himself up for us, and he is now the one we serve, and we love him. And because of that, our souls have found life. In the ESV and many other translations, the word Spirit in verse 10 is capitalized. Is it capitalized in your Bible? You can look and see. Is the word Spirit capitalized in verse 10? It's a tough question. Is the word Spirit in verse 10 referring to the Holy Spirit... Or is it referring to the spirits of the person? Commentators disagree on this a lot. Um, It seems to me that Paul is making a contrast here between our bodies and our spirits. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit that gives our souls life. It is the Holy Spirit that makes us a new creation. When we're born again, it's the Holy Spirit who is the begetter. He's the one that births us, that gives us life. But in my opinion, verse 10 seems to function most clearly, seems to speak most clearly when we read that word spirit here actually as without the capital S, that it's a reference to the human spirit, to the soul. The body is dead, but our soul is life. Now, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say alive. He doesn't say the soul is alive. He says the spirit is life. What does that mean? It means that life has become the very nature of our souls. The human soul, once it has been made new by the Holy Spirit, is not only alive, but it exists in a constant state of life. Something that is alive might one day die, but something that is life is life. Our souls have not just been made alive in such a way that they will one day die, our souls have been made alive in such a way that they are life. The Christian soul will never die. It never will. No soul will ever cease to exist. Every person on planet Earth, saved or unsaved, is an eternal soul. But the souls of those who reject Christ will know eternal death in that place called hell. But not the Christian soul by grace. Our souls will know eternal life. God Himself has entered into the Christian soul as we saw this morning. We have drunk from the fountain of living waters and that water has become for us a spring of life welling up within us. The Spirit of God is alive and well in our own souls. Our souls are so interwoven with the Spirit of God that it would cause the Spirit of... The Spirit of God would have to die in order for your spirit to die as a Christian. And that will never happen, of course. This is what God has done for us. Our souls are eternally life. How can that be? How could our souls be made alive in this way? Well, Paul says that the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Do you see that? See that in the verse? Because of righteousness. The idea here is that light and darkness cannot coexist. What fellowship is light with darkness? God is perfect and holy. Our souls are by nature depraved and evil. How can a holy God come to a wretched soul like mine, make us alive, unite himself to us, actually come and dwell in our hearts? I mean, these two things shouldn't go together. God is too pure than to even look upon evil. How can He come and unite Himself to evil? How can He come and actually dwell in us? And the answer is righteousness. The answer is Jesus. Jesus accomplished perfect righteousness for us. Jesus accomplished everything necessary for the forgiveness of our sins. He accomplished the perfection that we fall so short of so that now when the Spirit gives us that new heart and we come to Jesus and we believe on Him, His righteousness is accredited to us. His righteousness is imputed to us. We are made right in the eyes of God. How can God unite Himself to us? How can good unite itself to evil? By taking away the evil. Our F's taken off the report card. Jesus' A's placed on the report card so that in the sight of God, we are legally blameless and pure and God is just and right to come and to unite Himself to us and to dwell in us. The point is this. One man's sin resulted in the death of our bodies. And our bodies are still dead to God. But one man's righteousness has resulted in our spirits being made alive. Life. This is who we are. Do you know yourself, Christian? You are a new creation soul dwelling in an old creation body. You are a living soul in a dead body and we are waiting for the day when we will be the living living well let me close with a word about how your living soul can bring your dead body into submission so that you can live for the glory of God and here it is just one little principle to help you I hope find the greater joy of living in the love of God so that temptations lose their power Let me say it again. Find the greater joy of living in the love of God so that temptations lose their power. Uh, Here's one way to do this. Rejoice so much in the new life that God has given to you that you find the strength you need to take control over your bodily desires. So Joe is a Christian. We have Joe. Joe has been brought into a whole new world. Okay? Uh, Joe now has seen something of the glory of God. The Bible is beginning to break open for Joe. He's beginning to have a right understanding of the Word. And through the Word, he's beginning to have a right understanding of himself and of this world around us and of God. He he is seen with new eyes. Everything has changed. Billions walk in darkness. But Joe has been given eyes to see. And he has come to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. He's beginning to think about all that God has done for him. Everything that God is doing for him every moment of every day. Joe thinks often about Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He thinks about those pages after pages after pages in the Bible of glorious promises from God to him. He's he's astonished. He's overwhelmed. Joe has new life, and it's the most remarkable thing he can imagine. And he's so grateful. He is especially grateful to live in the reality of God's love for him. Sometimes Joe just stops to think about the love of God, and he can almost feel it. He can almost feel the love of God around him like an ocean that he's swimming in. And Joe's heart becomes warm. He has found security. He has found safety. He has found a happiness he never knew before. All Joe wants now is to express his love back to God. All he wants now is to live in a way that honors this God who loves him so much. He's living in this love. But here's the problem. Joe's body tries to get in the way. But Joe is preaching to himself. He says, eyes don't look there will only slow us down and mess us up as we're trying to walk this road of service to God. Tongue, slow down. Be careful what you say. Oh, let's speak things that will honor our God and encourage others. Stomach, enjoy these good gifts from God. But in moderation, for as good as the gifts of God are, the giver is far better and we want to live for Him. In other words, Mount Hermon, The more you rejoice in the fact that God has been so good to you and the more you live in the reality that God loves me and is working all for my good and is bringing me to heaven, the more you live in that, the more temptations begin to lose their pull on you. Preach to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself every day and believe it with all your heart, and it will give you the strength to fight. And to fight well. If there's anyone here tonight who has not been made new, my prayer is that God would do that work in you. Dear friend, do you have any desire for Christ in your heart? Do you have any desire in your heart to turn from your sin and to trust this Savior? He loves you more than you love yourself. He is wiser than you, smarter than you. He's a good Savior trust him and cast yourself upon his mercy this is the way of salvation and if you do this you will find that it is actually the spirit of God who has been working in you to bring this to pass you were once like all humanity the dead dead but the spirit has come and made your soul new so that you are the living dead and he is bringing you to the day you might die first your body might be put into the ground Your body might even decay and become dust. But Jesus Christ is coming back and your body is going to be re-resurrected and made new and your perfect soul in heaven will be reunited with that perfect body resurrected by Christ and your salvation will be complete forever and ever so that you will know Christ in wholeness. 10,000 days times 10,000 days times 10,000 days. Is that not encouraging? Is that not why we call this the good news? It's exciting. Let's believe it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. We were helpless. We had no way of saving ourselves. We were like drowning people in a vast ocean at midnight with sharks all around. I mean, we were hopeless. And Father, you have come and done the impossible. You became a man. You took the punishment we deserved. You exalted your Son to the highest place and have sent the Spirit and opened our eyes and given us faith and now your Spirit is making us new. Father, you've just blessed us and blessed us and blessed us and you're continuing to bless us your love is overwhelming Father thank you for it help us to live in it help us to believe what your Bible says about us and Father may it give us the strength and encouragement to fight sin and to pursue holiness help us to have self control help each boy and girl each young man and young woman each older man and older woman help us all to have self control so that we can better love you and love those around us. Father, thank you for your love. Watch over us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.